Well, welcome to week number three in our message series called Four Cups, and uh, we're rediscovering uh, some promises that God made all the way back in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, and that over and over and over again throughout the rest of the Bible, these promises are repeated uh, so many times, and they're really timeless promises that God wants to make good on in every man and woman and young person's life uh, still today, and it's based on this great book. Uh, by Chris Hodges, pastor of Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama. They have several locations uh, called Four Cups. I really encourage you to pick that up. Uh, he's one of the, uh, really the leaders in an organization that we're a part of as a church called ARC, the Association of Related Churches. And just a little over 10 years time, uh, they've actually planted 500 brand new churches in the United States. It's just an incredible uh, association of churches. Uh, and that's one of the ones that we're a part of. And, and Chris Chris Hodges made all these materials available for all the ARC pastors, and we're so thankful to him. Because when I heard him talk about this and I read the book, I was like, my goodness, I, I've got to bring this back to Valley Christian Church uh, be, because I know there was so much that I had not seen in Scripture before until I read that book and heard uh, Pastor Chris speak. And, and, uh, and I think the same is probably uh, for the rest of us as well. So just a, a quick review of, of where we've been talking about these four cups, these four promises. In week one, we talked about the importance of knowing and understanding and then pursuing the promises of God. It's not enough that we just know them. Uh, we have to understand what they mean and then we really have to go after them, go hard after uh, these promises. And then last week we looked at the first cup uh, in our second message, and that was the cup of sanctification or salvation. And we, and we answered the question, what is salvation really all about? What's the essence of it? And, and many, many of us uh, have already taken that first cup. And each one of these cups is represented in the Passover for promises that God made to the children of Israel, to the Hebrew people, and they extend to every human being, really, as again, it's repeated all throughout the New Testament as well, these four promises. And, and they're almost toast. That's why it's called four cups. And, and so when the Jewish people would celebrate Passover, even to this day, they would recite this promise and then drink of the cup. And Jesus took as it tells us in, in Luke chapter 22, he took the third and the fourth cup, and it's the third and fourth cup where we have our communion celebration or the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to get to that. Next week we'll get into the third cup. Uh, but for our sake tonight uh, and, and today, let's look at the cup of deliverance. That's the second cup, uh, the cup of deliverance. And don't get hung up on this. This word deliverance, you know, it, it's not about some girl whose head's spinning around 180 degrees or 360 degrees or anything like that. It means freedom. God wants you and I to be free. He, he, he saves us. That's what the cup of sanctification is about salvation as he brought the Hebrew children out of the bondage of Egypt. And then he wants to set us free. And so let's look at where this is found again. Quick review, Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And this is literally what the Hebrew people, Jewish people, would recite with the first Passover and still to this day. And this is where we find these four promises, each one with a cup in the Passover meal. It says, therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out. And that's what we talked about last week. The cup of sanctification, the sal cup of salvation. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And here's the second promise. I will free you from being slaves to them. He says, first of all, I'll bring you out 
But God recognized that, that saving the Jewish people from Egypt, they still had a lot of Egypt in them. Just like you and I, we were forgiven of our sins, but we've got a lot of old patterns and ways of thinking still in our lives. And God says, I want to free you from being slaves to those old patterns. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And he goes on and he says, I will take you as my own people. And I will be your God. I will be your God. And you, then, uh, then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And so real quickly here, a review <clears throat> of the four cups. The first cup is the cup of sanctification, and that's all about salvation. The second cup that we're going to look at now is the cup of deliverance, and that's about freedom, freedom from sin that God wants to bring into your life and my life. Then the cup of redemption, that's about restoration. That's about us rediscovering or perhaps discovering for the first time God's original, original unique intention and plan for each of our lives. And then the cup of praise, and that's fulfillment. And that's how we're going to conclude this series in just a couple of weeks. But tonight we're looking at the cup of deliverance, and, and uh, really this is all about the Egypt in me. This is about the Egypt in me. This is about... Uh, getting Egypt out of me. As I said before, the thoughts and the patterns and the, the ways of thinking that even though the children of Israel, the Hebrews, were out of the literal shackles of Egypt, they still had a very, as you read through the scriptures, a very old way of thinking and patterns. And, and so that's why this second cup, the cup of deliverance and freedom, is so important. I love how Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says it, and this is important for us to understand as we move from the cup of salvation to the cup of freedom. God saved you by his grace. It was God's grace that he saved us. By his grace, when you believed, in that moment. So we looked at last week, the cup of salvation, the cup of sanctification is a moment in time. These next three cups, beginning today, these are a process, but salvation is a moment in time. It's a split-second event. It happens when? When we believe. God saved you by his grace when you believe, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. In other words, he made all the provision for it in and of himself. It's not about us at all. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. And it's so important as we go into these next three cups that we understand that first cup, the cup of salvation, has nothing to do with us. All we do is believe what God's already done for us. That's it. But, but it's not about you and I ever being good enough. It's not a reward for good things that we've done. Not at all. Salvation is a free gift by God's grace. And when did it happen? It happened in a moment in time when you and I believed and it's so cool when you think about it. God does talk about our good works. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But God puts our good works, the good things that we do, in a completely different promise so that we don't ever mix up the two. The good works are not in the first cup. The good works are in the second, the third, and the fourth after we've already been forgiven after we're already saved, after, because of Christ's perfect life, his substitutionary and his sacrificial death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, he has wiped my slate clean. He has wiped your slate clean. 
and we're perfectly free, uh, and we're perfectly forgiven. And now God says, as a result of that forgiveness, you know what? There's a process that I want to enter into with you. And that is getting Egypt out of you. I got you out of Egypt. I've saved you. You're forgiven. Now I want to get Egypt out of you. And so uh, look at what, now remember, salvation, that's the first cup. And, and, And we actually had six people last weekend that drank of that first cup for the first time. Six people that received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the first time in their life last weekend when they heard that message. I mean, that's what it's all about, folks. That's what it's all, 35 people this year have taken that step in Valley Christian Church to receive Christ as their Savior. Just absolutely blows me away. Man, that just, that, that's just like, it's like a shot of spiritual steroids for me. It's like, oh, all right then. I just get really excited about that. I'm sorry, that's just me. I'm weird like that. But anyway, <clears throat> so, so the first cup, that's salvation. That's, that's done deal because of Jesus' complete and finished work on the cross and his resurrection. Now we move to the second cup. Now we move to the second cup, and the second cup is the cup of deliverance, the cup of freedom. And look at what it says with this understanding, the cup of deliverance, the cup of freedom, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. It says, work hard, now this is it, work hard, why? Not to, not to be forgiven, that's not it. Why are we going to work hard? Work hard to show the results of your salvation. A lot of people get this all messed up. It's really quite clear if you read the scripture, what's really being said. We don't work hard in order for God to forgive us. We work hard, why? Because we're forgiven. Because he's forgiven us. Work hard to show the results of salvation. Obey God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you. God is working in you. God is working in me. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. See, here's the whole thing. Before you and I are forgiven of our sins, before that word salvation, it's not even on our mind to do anything that pleases God. We're just doing our own thing. We're just running and gunning and looking for love in all the wrong places. Boy, it could almost break into a country music song right now, but I won't. But, but after we're saved and we become alive spiritually, the, the, the theological word for it is regeneration. We become alive spiritually. We're going to talk about that in just a second. It says work hard. Why? Not to earn. We've already received it. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. I love how the New Living Translation translates this so clear. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you. Watch this now. God would never ask us to do something he doesn't give us the power to accomplish. God is working in you. He says, Greg, this is what I want for you. This is my best for you. And you know what? I'm not going to leave you struggling and straining. I'm going to give you the power of my Holy Spirit working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases me. Isn't God awesome? Just absolutely amazing. And so salvation happens in an instant. so important that we understand this. That's the first cup. And then the second cup, the, other, the second, third, and fourth cup, they take place over the rest of the Christian life. So, so let me explain this a minute. Let me just take a moment uh, and just kind of pause and kind of a parenthesis uh, in our time together. And, and 
maybe bring some clarity to what happens at that point of salvation, okay? You and I are, are what's referred to as a triune beings. We are triune beings. That means trio, three, three parts. As a human being, I'm, I'm three parts. Here, here's the first part. The first part is I'm a body. I'm a physical body. Okay, everyone, anyone here today doesn't have a physical body? Okay, good, I'm glad. Nobody raise their hand. We're, we're a physical body. Every one of us has a physical body. Okay, second thing is then we're a soul. What is a soul? The mind, the will, and the emotions. We have a physical body. We have a mind, a will, and emotions. We have a soul. Now, here's the thing that distinguishes human beings from every other kind of creature. Every other kind of creature has a physical body, has mind, will, and emotions also. Dogs get angry, they bite you. You know, mind, will, emotions. But we have a spirit. We have a spirit. And what happens is we're, our spirit, we're spiritually dead inside. And then when we receive Christ as our Savior, we become spiritually alive. This is the part of us that's like God. Our spirit inside. And so, at the point of salvation, we become spiritually alive, but we're used to, before experiencing God's forgiveness, we're used to living for our physical body, our natural appetites and our desires, things that please us, and from our soul, our mind and will and emotions. And just think about it. If we just did only what pleased us physically, we make, a mess, we make a mess of our lives really quick, don't we? If we just follow our soul, our mind, will, and emotions, boy, boy you want to just a train wreck of life, just, just do whatever you feel, your emotions. But then when we receive Christ finished and perfect work on the cross, we become spiritually alive. This is the part of us that's like God. And so the rest of life from that point on, watch this now, is learning how to live from this part of our being and not these two parts of our being. And this is a process. And none of us ever arrive. This part, this spirit is perfect. Is absolutely perfect. That's the only way we can have a relationship with God. And this is what God sees. This is what God looks at. We're dead to sin, alive to Jesus Christ. Spiritually alive. And so this is the process, this is the start, it starts at salvation, it starts at the first cup, in the instant when we're saved, and it carries on throughout the rest of our life. And what God wants to do is bring us freedom, that we no longer live for our body, our natural physical appetites, and our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions, but instead we live by the Spirit. And we find this over and over again, the book of Ephesians says, walk in the spirit and you will not obey the desires of the flesh. Walk in the spirit. Over and over again, the spirit leads us. The spirit, does, right here, right here, we're supposed to walk in the spirit by the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and so we're a triune being. This is so important that we understand this. And 
In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 18, it gives us some insight into this idea of walking in the Spirit here. Look at what it says here. So all of us who have had the veil removed, in other words, we've seen Jesus Christ for who he really is, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. How does that happen? As we begin to live life from our spirit instead of living life led around by our flesh, by our, by our uh, physical bodies, and by our soul as well. And, and so this is this process that God is changing us to become more and more like him. That doesn't mean like God. We're not becoming gods. Don't misunderstand that. But we're becoming more and more like him as we live from our spirit that comes alive at that point of salvation. Instead of whatever desires I have physically, or, or my mind, my will, and my emotions. And so there's three focuses of this cup of deliverance or, or freedom. Uh, what it means, what does that look like living by the Spirit, living from the Spirit? Three things, I think, that are so important for us to understand in this second cup. Here's the first thing. It means victory over sin. God wants you and I to experience ongoing victory over sin. See, before we become alive, spiritually speaking, we can't, ha- we, we can't be victorious over sin. There, there's nothing inside of us that, that will allow us to do that. And so we're just led around by our physical desires or our desires emotionally, uh, mind, will, and emotions. The way I like to think about sin is this, just a clear way. What, what, what is sin when we talk about victory over sin? Uh, sin is the stuff that you and I do that we don't need any help with. We don't need anybody's help messing us up. That's just the stuff we do on our own. That's what sin is. And God wants to give you and I victory over sin. And, and listen, if, if you find maybe, you know, when we put up the triune man there and, and uh, physical body and then soul, the mind, will, and emotions, and then the spirit, the part of us is like God, and you say, man, Greg, I, I find myself living more from the top two there or maybe one out of the top two, Uh, then by the Spirit, you know what? You're in good company because I feel that inside as well. I've been a Christian a long time. The Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament that that took the Christian faith to the entire Gentile world. What was that? Anything out of Judaism. He talks about this same exact struggle because it's a process. It's a process now, here's the thing. I, saw, I heard a recent story that was done of Christians, and it said 87% of those who profess faith in Christianity never get past this second cup, never experience the third and fourth. In other words, they never really begin to live by the Spirit, free from victory over sin, having victory over sin. Look at how Paul describes this, this, this struggle of, of this, the Spirit that's alive, and yet physical body and the soul the mind and the will and emotions and there's a battle there's a conflict internally look at what he says in Romans chapter 7 verses 21 25 so I find this law at work although I want to do good evil is right there within me now this is the apostle Paul talking and I think for many of us the biggest thing is this we got to get real and deal 
That's, that's why I like to say, you know, here at Valley Christian Church, you may be new, that, that we, we have one rule, no perfect people allowed. No perfect people around, allowed. We've got to get real and deal. The Apostle Paul, who's writing the very words of God in Scripture, he says, I find this law at work at me. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. He's saying, in my inner being. What's he referring to? In my spirit. In my spirit, I delight in God's law. Look at what he says. It goes on and says, But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. He says, I have the, the, my spirit inside of me, and, and on the other hand, it's, it's this, this war that's going on. That's what he is referring to. Using a little different language, but that's what he's referring to. The, the other two parts of that triune man physical body and soul at war with the spirit the sin is at work within me and he goes on he says what a wretched man am i what a wretched man i am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death he's he's it's like he's calling out in this struggle this inner conflict And, and i think most all of us can relate to this he says who who can save me from this Thanks be to God. Why? Why do we thank God? Who delivers me. Thanks be to God who delivers me. The cup of deliverance. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's only, it's the power of Jesus that he releases in my life and yours to be victorious over sin. Thanks be to God, he delivers me. That's why it's the cup of deliverance. Because it's all about Jesus, it's never about Greg, and it's never about you either. Thanks be to God that he delivers me through Jesus Christ. And and so the first thing we need to know about this cup of deliverance is it gives us victory over sin. That's God's desire for you and for me. And and it's a a struggle. There's not ever a time like, well, I... You know, I've been a Christian 10 years now. I got this whole sin thing whipped. Yeah, well, that's pride. You just lost. <laughs> and, and so there's never a time that, that, that we don't. Listen, anybody who tells you that they've got it whipped, it's not a struggle inside, they're not being honest. They're not being forthright. The Apostle Paul, he struggled. We all struggle. When is the struggle finally over? When we step from this life to the life to come. And I love that verse in 1 John. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Man, there's the, that, that's, that's when the struggle's over, when we see Jesus face to face. And so he delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. First thing is victory over sin. Here's the second thing, healing from wounds. First thing, victory over sin. The stuff I do to myself. I don't need anybody's help messing myself up. What are, what are healing from wounds? Wounds are what others do to you. Wounds are what other people have inflicted upon you. The wrongs that other people have committed against you that, that hurt us, that trap us, that impact us, and that, that happened years ago and decades ago and still impacting us. 
The second cup, God wants to bring freedom to you and I from the stuff we do to ourselves and from the wounds, healing from the wounds that other people have inflicted upon us. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. It says, and, and don't sin by letting anger control you. I, it's rare that I get angry with myself. I get angry with other people. Most people do. We get angry with what other people do to us. This whole idea. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Watch this. For anger get, gives a foothold to the devil. That, that we are sinned against, stuff that other people do to us, and you know what? We just take that in our heart, and it gives an opportunity for the devil. As we talked about last week, John 10.10, and I know you may say, well, you know, the devil, Satan, I don't know about all that stuff. Jesus made it pretty clear. He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God's not the only one that has a plan for your life. Someone else does too. And his plan is steal, kill, and destroy. But in John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full, to be fulfilled. So healing from wounds that other people have done to us, Victory over sin, healing from wounds. And here's the third thing about this cup of deliverance, this cup of freedom. Authority over the enemy. Authority over the enemy. Authority over our adversary. I, I, I heard uh, Bishop Dale Bronner. He was one of the speakers this week at our conference, and, and uh, I was doing some reading from some things that he wrote, and, uh, and he put it this way. You need an enemy to expose the champion in you. Just let that sit in for just a minute. You need an enemy to expose the champion in you. If there is no enemy, if there is no, no, uh, no combatant, we never see what really God has placed inside of us. How incredible it is. The champion that he's placed inside of you and me. We wouldn't know David, King David's name today if it weren't for Goliath. David needed a Goliath in order to reveal he's more than a shepherd boy. He's a warrior. That, that, that little young, ruddy, complexion, redheaded, he, he's not just a shepherd boy. He's a warrior. He's a king. Wouldn't have happened if there wasn't a Goliath. Authority over the enemy. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. There's no reason to feel ar put on armor unless there's a battle, unless there's an enemy. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Remember what I just said? He's got a plan for your life too. That, that you can stand against the devil's schemes. And then it goes on and says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood and your mother-in-law. Oh, I didn't mean to say that out loud. I just, it's not against flesh and blood. It's not against your boss. It's not against your neighbor. It's not against the teacher of your kids. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers in this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. That's where the battle is. And God, in this second cup, wants to give us authority over the enemy. 
And so let, let's, uh, understanding those three things, that God wants to give us victory over sin, healing from wounds, and authority over our enemy. Let's take a little, just, just even more focused view of this cup of deliverance. Just a few minutes ago, we read from Romans chapter seven, and Paul's talking about the struggle that he has. The struggle, who, who will deliver me from this? And then he goes right on from Romans chapter seven, right into Romans eight. And look at what he says in Romans eight, verse one. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. What a beautiful verse. It's all referring to the second cup, the cup of deliverance, the cup of freedom. The spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. That's the second cup. The cup of deliverance, the cup of freedom. And then he goes on a little bit later in Romans chapter eight, verses five through six, and he says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, think about what? Sinful things. Preoccupied with it. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about things that please the Spirit. Let me ask you a question. What has the most control on the way that you think? What has the most control on what you think about in your life? I think if we're really, really honest, we would say the people that we surround ourselves with. When we surround ourselves with the wrong people, I'm not talking about involuntarily. I'm not talking about on the job. You can't do anything about it. I'm talking about after work. I'm talking about the choices that we make, who we're hanging out, who we choose to spend our time with. Are they encouraging us to think about Christ-like things? Righteous things, good things, or sinful things? So important. I, I've heard it said this way before. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Because you're gonna become like them, for good or for bad. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And so here's the whole thing about this second cup. I don't want you to miss this now. The whole thing about this second cup, the key to this second cup, relationships are the key. It's all about relationships. Relationships are the key. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. It's so important that we surround ourselves with the right people. In Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, it actually kind of gives us an insight into this. It said, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And I know what we think automatically will confess. I'm just gonna confess that to God. That's not really what's being talked about there. It's pretty interesting. In 1 John it says, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And thank God, God forgives us of our sins. But you know what? There's more than just being forgiven of our sins. Our personal sins cause us pain and hurt and struggle and strain that don't just go away. 
But in James chapter 5, verse 16, look at what the Bible says. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. God forgives us of our sins when we confess our sins to him. When we confess our sins to others, they heal us of our sins. That's literally what it's saying. That's why relationships are so critical and so important. Go to God for forgiveness. Go to God's people for healing. That's what this is saying. Let me read it again. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's the idea here, after this first cup of salvation, that cup number two, cup number three, cup number four are never meant to be walked out on our own. It's always with fellow Christians. And that's why the Bible uses words like this, the family of God, the flock of God, the fellowship. It's not an individual. It's not individually that we express our faith. It's with the flock of God, the family of God, in fellowship with one another. And so just real practically, I mean, I know we're at the point in the message where normally, you know, a good pastor uh, would tell a real moving story and, and just really tie it up with a nice bow and I'm not gonna do that tonight. I'd like to think I'm a good pastor, but I'm not gonna do that today. I, I wanna just really pastor you in like the next steps here that are so important. So important in this second cup as I think the scripture shows it. What happens after salvation? What's the next step in the process after we receive forgiveness from God? The next step, real practically, is water baptism. Water baptism. What is water baptism all about? Well, water baptism is kind of like uh, this ring on my finger, this wedding ring. This is a sign to anybody who's wondering, hey, is that guy committed to any woman? Yeah, I am, right there, almost 25 years. In fact, it's kind of cool. I can take my ring off, but you know what? My finger's still worn out underneath it. That's like, that's a permanent thing after 25 years of wearing that. Water baptism is just like that. Water baptism is a public proclamation. I am committing my life. I have committed my life to Jesus Christ. See, because Susie and I didn't just fall in love the day we got married. I'd been in love with her for a long time, almost three years before. But there was a time that came and said, I want everyone to know I'm in this for the long haul till death do us part. That's what water baptism's about. That's what water baptism's about. It's an important part. Look at this example, for instance, in Acts chapter 8, verses 12 through 13. It says, but when they believed, this is in the book of Acts, this is New Testament, this is the, the church has just been birthed not very long. But when they believed, Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. What happens first? Believing comes before baptism. That's the pattern over and over and over again in Scripture. First is a belief on an individual's part, and then comes baptism. Belief, baptism follows belief. They were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself, here it is, believed first, and then what happened? He was baptized in water. And so let me ask you a question. Have you been baptized in water 
since you believed? Since you put your faith in Jesus Christ? It's so important to to make that public proclamation. Just, Just like a wedding in a sense. I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ. And so over and over again, this is the pattern all throughout the Bible. There's not one exception to this anywhere in the Bible. Belief on the part of an individual and then water baptism. They make that decision and then they follow. In that example, that Jesus himself was baptized when he was 30 years old. When he was 30 years old. He was dedicated at the temple as an infant. He was baptized when he was 30. And so this is the pattern. That's why we do this. In fact, we're coming up on this uh, next month in May. May 5th, we're going to have water baptism at 6 o'clock on a Sunday night right here. And if you haven't been baptized in water, man, I encourage you. I, I was nine years old when I was baptized in water. I still remember it to this day. Now, now at the time, I understood it pretty well. I, I had a real good understanding for, for that age. You know, now I have all these, these years of study and different degrees and alphabet soup after my name because of it. And, and, and I understand a whole lot more than I did then. But you know what? It took I didn't need to get rebaptized again because I believed first, I made that decision, and then I wanted to follow in the example of Jesus Christ. And I was baptized in water. And God has filled that full of even greater meaning as I've grown and walked with him, walked in the Spirit. But it's really important. If you haven't, I, I just pray you'd, you'd think about that. So important. That next step in the second cup. Here's the second thing that is really important. And this isn't self-serving. I'm, Be baptized somewhere else, but just be baptized if you don't want to be baptized here at Valley Christian Church. Here's the second thing, church membership. We call it partnership here. It's critical to your walk. Baptism is what? A public proclamation. Church membership also, I'm committed here. This is where I'm going to grow. And maybe Valley Christian Church isn't the place for you. Find a place that you're committed to. That's where you're going to grow spiritually. It's so important because we'll never get Everything, we'll never experience everything in our life that God wants us to experience. In this second cup, forget about the third and fourth cup. We'll never even experience those things if we're not committed somewhere to a local church. Did you know there are over 30 verses in the New Testament that assume that being committed to a local church is the norm for Christians? There are 30 verses in the New Testament that are impossible for us to follow as Christians unless we're committed in a local church setting completely impossible. They're called the one another verses. Can't do them on your own. Can't do them on your own. And so I hope maybe you'll make this a goal. you start thinking about it or praying about it as a family if you haven't done that yet. We've been working behind the scenes for over a year now and we're real excited. In, in June, we're going to be rolling out what's called growth track. Growth track, which is, is four weeks, one hour each, that just helps lined up with these four cups of how to walk these things out. We're really excited. You're going to hear more about that. There's already some information in your info guide about that. But consider church membership, partnership. Maybe it's not here at Valley. Find a church family somewhere where you can begin to live out flesh and blood. I'm so thankful. Had a big week, as as I mentioned before. And before I I left, a a week before, um, I shared with my community group that, that small group here at Valley Christian Church, I'm committed to living life out and sharing life together. I, I shared with them not, not just 
the big event, but some of the internal personal struggles and challenges that I, I, I was already facing leading up to being put in as the president of the network we're a part of. You know what, this, this Sunday night, we have another community group meeting, and I thank you all for praying for me. It means so much. I, I felt your prayers. I mean, it was, it, was a, it was a day of destiny for me personally. I'm so excited about Sunday night sharing in detail with my community group that was praying for me. You know how I was struggling? You know how I was nervous? You know how I was uptight? This is what happened. This is how God came through because I shared with you the struggle and what I was nervous about. I wanna share with you the good news of how God came through. And you know what, that just strengthens me. That's the way God meant for life to be lived out, not accidentally, but intentionally in relationships. That's what this second cup's all about. So I'm gonna ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray in these moments, Lord, as we've been considering this second cup, the cup of deliverance, the cup of freedom, thank you, first of all, Lord, that you want us to be free, free from sin. Lord, I pray that you'd give us the courage right now, each and every one of us, to think seriously about our relationships. Lord, for many of us to make the decision to put on the wedding band, spiritually speaking, and, and be baptized in water, following the example of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that, that for any of us that, that have not committed to a church, any church, Lord, that we begin to think seriously and pray seriously and ask you, where are you placing me to grow and to be committed in what local church? with what local body of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that, that we'd also search out and seek out Christian friends that would challenge us and encourage us with our journey with Jesus. Friends that love us enough to look us in the eye, to speak the truth to us, and then to pray for us that we would continue to walk, not by our flesh, not, not, not by our soul, our mind, will, and emotions, but that we would walk in the Spirit. Thank you, Father, that everything that you ask us to do, you give us the power to do. In Jesus' name, amen.